0: John Moore, co-founder of Ninja Tune and One Half of Cold Cut, is interviewed by the composer and pianist James Heather, who is signed to another of Colcut's labels ahead of our time. James chats to John about his musical history and focuses on his relationship with ambient music. Subjects covered include talking about the composer Elgar being a family friend, recording strings in Abbey Road, pirate radio stations, working with Steve Reich, ambient music's history and his relationship with Ninja Tune. John picks his desert island discs of ambient tracks and James picks some ambient highlights from Tune. This is an edited version of an original broadcast which aired on James's Moving Sounds monthly show on Soho Radio. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to the podcast. Today is a really special show. It's um, focusing on the the Tune label and more on the, the ambient side of the catalogue, some of my favourite pieces from, from old and new. And we've got a very special guest coming up called uh, John Moore, who is cold-cut and co-founder of Ninja Tune. Um, did you want to say hello, John?
1: I did want to say hello, James. Yeah.
0: Hi, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, no, but it's, it's an honour to have you. It's, uh, it's brilliant. So we're going to talk to John later about his history and music and relationship with the the ambient genre and talk through some sort of classic and new tune songs and his thoughts on those i wanted to play a couple of cold cut songs from their sound album which i love they've always held a special part for me cold cut i think my earliest memory is 97 perhaps when i got the let us play album on cd and i remember just before that, I was listening to, as a lot of people were in that period, a lot of rock music, I guess, things like Oasis, Supergrass, you know, as a teenager, and that, that's all good stuff in its own way, of course. But I went around a friend's house one night and we listened to DJ Shadow introducing and then I started to research a lot of that stuff and bought Cold Letters Play. And I remember looking at the sort of liner notes in my room and reading a lot of the more political statements and thinking this is... This is something else, this is from a different different dimension to what I've known before. And like a love affair started with an with industry label, basically. And then I was very lucky to have a very small part to play in the promotion of Sound Mirrors in 2006, I think, now. So I wanted to play first off a track called Sound Mirrors, which I'm sure John will tell us about afterwards and how that track was made, and also a track called Mr Nichols featuring the, the brilliant multidisciplinary artist Saul Williams.
2: cowboy, your play gun pointed at real targets, your mother, holding her tongue as your father consoles her with the words, it's just boy stuff. Well, you joined his fraternity, you grew into his old suits, you acquired his beliefs, you embodied his dreams and with them his oversights. How long did you think it would last? It's just a matter of time. The world is far from over. Look, your mother outlives your father. Your sister outlives your brother. And if you jump from this window today, she'll also outlive you. Look at her, sitting in her Midwestern home, tuned into Oprah once again. Today, she learns to meditate on a second-hand couch. Meanwhile, you stand outside this window, 12 stories above the ground, one story remaining untold. Setting sun, unaware of your disorientation, disorient, turned away from the east. The shifting current seems to conspire against you. Mr. Nichols, you failed to see that you've always stood outside of this window, perched on the threshold of oblivion, countless man made stories above the truth. For so long, you've stood facing the setting sun. Mistaking the complementary unified duality of nature as being right or wrong, good or evil, god or devil. Mr. Nichols, instead of stepping from this ledge into the downfall of your uprise, why not just turn around? Lessen the intensity of your western glare and face the rising sun. Note the energy swirling from its center, how it illumines us all, and only the birds fly first class. kiss. Invest your tongue into the mouth of mystery. Allow her breath to seep into your lungs. Surrender to her touch and guidance. There's no other way. Your dreams of dominance will only help you forsake yourself while your family continues its search for understanding and your daughters outlive your sons.
0: John Moore next to me for one half of Cold Cut with Matt Black. I wanted to talk to you about those two tracks first if that's okay, John. So let's start with um, Sound Mirrors. Sound Mirrors. And if you could talk about the making making of it. Well, it started with the loop
1: that starts at the beginning which came off a Music Concrete record from back in the 1950s which was, you know, in some respects a precursor to ambient music. I won't mention the actual album because don't want other people sampling it. I actually (laughs) can't remember, to be honest. (laughs) And just built from that that loop, really, and uh, worked with a guy called Paul Brook, who's an amazing programmer and musician, sadly passed away now. And we developed that track. We did a rough string arrangement. And then we got asked by Bang & Olsen. Bang & Olsen were making a kind of surround sound system, and they wanted a track to go on a DVD and they um booked us into Abbey Road and we recorded the strings on that wow. and we got tablas from Talvin Singh oh okay Who's on there I didn't and, know that. Oh okay yeah no Talvin's on there Talvin we knew from the Blue Note days basically so I think it was it 1995 is it or 04 I can't even remember when we released it something like that anyway
0: the album was 90 uh what, of Salmeris? Yeah. 2006. Okay, and yeah.
1: yeah, I'm thinking of Let Us Play. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much... But you met Calvin Singh many years previously. Yeah, we met At him the... in 1994 when we did Blue Note, which is, you know...
0: Uh, early Ninja June Club Night. Stealth,
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I loved his work, so invited him to play on this. And... Uh, yeah, then it, uh, we actually used it um, for a soundtrack to a play that we... Mm did with harry kunsru for um radio three a kind of really weird sound collage play and this was the theme that ran ran through through the whole thing so it's had quite a few different lives that track
0: so it's almost like a genesis uh, like a precursor to the album that came after it it was the one of the first tracks yeah made yeah yeah
1: even the name return to the margin which is a a thing that a typewriter, an old school typewriter with keys and stuff, when when you you hit the return to the margin to take it back to the beginning to write a new line. So yep. that was wow, that's amazing. That drill. Yeah, yeah, we we sampled drill actually <laughs> a, yeah, <laughs> on a DJ Food um, album that we did called Dr- yeah. Drill Killer. Good track. So it's a big drill sound. It's yeah. a wicked sound. So yeah, that, <laughs> that's return to the margin. So you know it has quite a. A lot of meaning, and um, I think actually Phil France was on base on that as well. Wow, from cin- Cinematic um, in, in Cinematic yeah. Orchestra at the time. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, um, nice to hear. I actually haven't heard that for quite a long time.
0: Oh, that's nice. And, yeah, you, I think you said you went to Abbey Road to do a 24-piece string section? Yep. Well, I mean, what was that like? It's just amazing, you know, amazing experience. We'd actually
1: done a section previous, but not a 24-piece. I can't remember how... It, the size wasn't we recorded strings at abbey road for autumn leaves of course yeah and um you know so i had some experience of recording strings. it's just abbey road is is a historic and magical place you know there's something about it i got to tinkle on the piano i think uh, the beatles played on jealous many times and you know uh the guy that was the studio engineer for the session with white coat pencils in top pockets you know proper kind of old school feeling and um fascinating to see from a technical point of view how they mic'd it all up uh, ultimately the sound of the strings is the sound of the room at Abbey road and yeah. i was saying when we were off mic about how many film soundtracks the strings are recorded that well the whole soundtracks are often recorded there live so it's sort of embedded in the DNA of people who love music or films because yeah. they've listened to that sound of Abbey Room, the room. You know, they've heard it without yeah. knowing. Yeah. yeah,
0: it's like everyone's recorded there, like all the big people, basically.
1: All of them, as I say, even yeah. including um,
0: Margaret Thatcher. So she recorded there. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was a musical thing
1: or just speeches.
0: Yeah. Some kind of... She really got into the Beatles or something? or I don't know, no. It's probably just some fascist <laughs> diatribe that she wanted to do. <laughs> oh, cool. Um, and then Mr. Nichols from actually from the... I should have played Autumn Lees, actually, but... Um, there you go. Mr. Nichols. Yes. Featuring Saul Williams. Yes. Who had been on a previous Ninja June compilation, I believe, Zen Cuts. Yes, that's right. So yeah. you had a relationship with him already, I assume. So how did that track come about and did you very powerful moving lyrics maybe yes. you can talk more about what it's about or did you did you give him any direction how did that all work so um the track again i recorded it with paul brooke and
1: matt and i recorded it with paul brooke and we did it in an afternoon so in a in in leamington spa in paul Brook's studio actually with the windows and the doors wide open it was a beautiful sunny day and just built that you know the, the drums sound in there is all made from tapping guitars and wow stuff so there's you know samples of guitars in there and um, we tried I think for ages to kind of was like this isn't right you can't just make a track in an afternoon what's going on so we tried you know lots of different things different recordings couldn't get anywhere with it and then thought of Saul Williams, who yeah. Matt and I absolutely adore, you know, we love spoken word, we've used spoken word in our music and in our radio shows for years and years and years, so we sent it over to him as a backing track with no brief whatsoever, it's like, here you are Saul, do your thing, you're Saul Williams, we trust and he came back with an incredibly powerful yes. piece. And as I say, the one line that really resonates for me out of all of the lines which were all very strong is only the birds fly first class, which is, you know, so simple and so beautiful, but actually when put like that becomes very profound.
0: Yeah. Yeah, That's the, I remember that lyric was the one that stood out to me at the time as well. So it's... it's
1: and yeah it 's a, a great piece, and Soweto Kinch does the little sax at the end solo at the end yeah um, which does sort of really lift it up and, and finish it off and um, there 's quite a dark video that goes
0: with it yeah it was um it was about suicide the video I believe effectively yeah I mean,
1: again an unusual tale of of of, of a strange world of of how things happen quite randomly but actually quite beautifully so we were looking for a video for it we commissioned various people we had quite a few briefs and then this video had been made for somebody else yeah and it was too too dark for Mm -hmm. them and came in and i synced the track across it and it just fitted perfectly and And it seemed appropriate
0: Sometimes I get messages wrong in music because we all take what we want from every mm-hmm. song. So, But I believe this, to me anyway, he's talking to Mr Nichols in the track about yeah. not giving up. Yeah, it's about staying to... alive. Yeah. You've got all this stuff around you, so yeah. it's, a, it's a hopeful message ultimately.
1: It is. I mean, like a lot of hopeful messages, they often come encased in quite a sad structure yeah. as it were and you know i like that melancholia I, it, it appeals to me and uh so yeah the video has a businessman who's feels an out, like an outsider who's obviously not happy with his life who tries to commit suicide but is saved by his family and his son yeah. and ultimately everybody comes out of these flats and helps him and that's really what life is about if there's people there to help you then but they're, they're yeah, absolutely
0: brilliant tracks and they're they're all-time classics to me. Thank you. Very, much. very special. So yes, yeah, so I, I mean I have got to say it's quite intimidating being sat next to you doing my <laughs> third show ever when I mean you were a founding member of Kiss FM when yes. it was a pirate in the 80s. Yeah. You you've been at the helm of the longest running mixture of all-time solid still. You said mean, I'm on my third show here and I don't even know what what one knob does and the other one in you don't have to worry. You've probably <laughs> forgotten more than I even know, so it doesn't really
1: matter, you know. I used to love John Pierre, quote, often him, and you know he he was a brilliant DJ because it was you know warts and all. Effectively, he would sometimes take the wrong record off <laughs> yeah. while it was playing, and you know we all do it. So in a way, that gives character, you yeah, know, to 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 what you're doing.
0: And I feel like that side of your story's been told a lot in terms of kiss fm solid steel more club culture stealth the early ninja tune nights everything to do with cold cut and ninja tune and and that's 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 great i I don't want to go there too much today because i'm more want to explore your relationship with the ambient right. music yeah. genre yeah which i mean obviously was a, a big part of that era and it's still a big thing now i know you, listening to interviews with you, you used to go in the late 70s or early 80s to High Wycombe to lots of punk nights. Yeah. And with Adrian Sherwood. Yeah. Were you also equally as passionate about um, the ambient genre at the time or were you like a punk basically? Um, Well, I was into... I was 20 in
1: 1977, I think. Yeah. And so it was a perfect age for a perfect musical storm. And I was at High Wycombe Art College. High Wycombe was a very creative sort of hub at the time. Adrian Sheward from New Sound lived there. There was music going on regularly, lots of amazing bands playing. And so, you know, I adored music and Mm -hmm. spent, when I wasn't making art, I was listening to music. And there were things then that were ambient, but I didn't really know, they weren't really called ambient yeah as such so there was a band that I used to love called Throbbing Gristle yep so before they were Throbbing Gristle they were called Coom and they were a bunch of very odd art orientated people so Genesis Oriage, Cozy Fanny Tutu and and several other people and their music was called industrial music so eventually kind of ended up influencing what was became a genre called industrial music mm-hmm. and, but they did make ambient records and um I love them. I went to see a lot of their gigs, and uh, you know they were, in equal measure shocking, but exciting. So there was that. Then Brian Eno, obviously, um, you know, uh, 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 probably wears the crown when it comes to ambient music. And may some people may say that he actually coined the term, in some respects. Yeah. But um, you know he. He came out of a fantastic art school band, Roxy Music, another band that I used to go and see, and you know, added a sort of otherworldliness to their work. And some of their records aren't necessarily really in the genre of ambient music, but they contain many of the of the things that yeah, amb- ambient music is. So I love them as well.
0: Yeah, I'd like to explore a lot more about your early, early growing up and some of your early memories of more ambient music but I also want you to be able to play a few songs today maybe some of your favourite ambient songs not necessarily on the Ninja interesting catalogue just, just stuff you like so uh, have you got something to play?
1: I've got one lined up which um, is Global Communication which is Mark Pritchard and Tom Middleton mm-hmm. and um, so 1994 possibly 12 inch single with uh, this amazing track called Maiden Voyage. Also, actually, it's a fantastic, funky sort of track called Funk in the Fridge, I think. Um, but Ma- Maiden Voyage, for me, is just such an amazing track. And, you know, we would play that in clubs that we did. Big, Big Chill, The Ambient
0: Club. Yes.
1: You know, this was a massive hit, I want of a better word.
0: And he'd, that he'd, come up, he'd come up with... Um he was from a similar place to Aphex in Cornwall, I believe. I think so, yeah. Sort of, yeah. D- they went on different musical paths in the end, but yeah. they came from the same sort of bucolic world.
1: country sound. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's uh, that's always been a thing in 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 British music as such you know you think of Elgar I don't know if you know Elgar of course yeah wonderful classical musician who uh, I think lived in Morven which is where my parents were from so my dad was a massive Elgar fan and actually Elgar wrote a piece of music based on my mum's maiden name which is Gedge G-E-D-G-E so unusual surname in as much as it's a musical progression and he was so fascinated by yeah. that when he met my parents my grandparents that he wrote a piece when elgar s- met your grandparents yeah yeah because my grandfather was the chemist in morwen at the time that oh elgar lived there
0: i find something new every time i meet you <laughs> wow that's, um, so you know it's yeah. weird
1: from <laughs> tom middleton to apex twin to elgar, elgar but it's yeah. it's a classic british tradition of, of what i call bucolic music or com- yeah. countryside
0: music effectively yeah okay let's 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 hear this one
1: It has a very slow start, but then that's like a bit of all of us in the morning. Here we go.
0: Global, global communication with Maiden Voyage. That's right, yeah. Uh, A classic. Class, yeah, total classic. So, so John, uh, I wanted to talk to you about... Yeah, you grew up in Tame? Tame, near Oxford, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, any childhood memories of the more ambient genre in any way, shape or form? Um. How did your love for music start?
1: Uh... Probably by my grandfather, actually, who lived in... I've talked about him a bit earlier, but lived in Malvern. Elgar's mate. Elgar's mate, yeah. Yeah. And we used to go and stay there, and up in the attic was a record player, and he had, like, a whole bunch of 78s. And there were two that I remember, one of which had two tracks in it. So depending... You put the needle onto the record, so one time it would play one thing, and then you put it on again; it would play something different. And I was, uh, you know, as a child, I was always fascinated by how did they manage to get two different pieces of music onto one slice of a of, 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 of vinyl? Well, not a vinyl. 78s, i I'm not sure what they're made out of, actually. But um, and then Spark's Magic Piano, mm-hmm. which was a kind of story, but. Um, a classic story you can look it up if you want to i won't go into the details but an amazing <laughs> story and so those, that was kind of my start of my love of music and then my dad's brother my uncle jack lived in nigeria and he knew i liked music and so i said send me some nigerian music so he sent me some amazing nigerian seven inches and um just grew from there really you know i remember my dad went to russia and he bought a seven inch of yuri gagarin who was the first man in space like a russian seven inch which i've still got wow. of recordings of yuri gagarin in space and in, you know you could say that's sort of ambient because yeah. there's just like weird noises and stuff and static and space noises and, and then um yuri gagarin speaking in russian from time to time and you know i I just started. I just loved music, so you know Jimi Hendrix had yep. big influence. So not not quite ambient as such, but you know some very lush productions and um, amazing virtuoso so guitarists, obviously, and all different things. And I would look for things on these records. Like there was a band called Traffic, who were kind of an interesting rock band. And Steve Winwood, I think, played flute with them, and, and they they had sort of a weird semi-ambient tracks I was always on the lookout for things like that um, you know got into punk, got into post-punk, got into African music then Latin music I just go yeah. down these travel down these wormholes you know find an artist that I liked and then investigate them so you know there'd be all different types but there was always some ambient music there. Yeah,
0: I'm always interested in people's relationship to ambient music because I think sometimes it gets a bad rep as being, say, background music or dinner table, dinner party music. Where to me, um, the best ambient music has got so many more layers in that, and it's something to be listened to, you know, in quite a lot of detail. There's, there's just as much going on. It's just not shouting at you so much. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So, um, yeah. You know, I think all genres, as they progress, people come along and they take that idea and they can take it in different directions. And one of those directions is to, a bit like a photocopier, mm. is to kind of continually copy it to the point that it becomes devalued. So you yeah. think of um, you know, an artist like Picasso, his original work's amazing, but his influence as it was copied over and over and over again, kind of devalued his his work to a certain extent until you actually go and experience it for real in front of you in, in a solid yeah. human interaction with that form and it's the same with with ambient music you know it's an incredible form of music because it gives your brain room to make up its own mind you know and in a yeah. way radio no, is there's same no vocals as, is it? Not,
0: No, not so much you know no. not as many vocals it's I, you know, a lot of people talk about ambient music. Is Sarti, the yep. composer, started it in with some m- works he had done in nineteen seventeen in quite an artistic, contrary way at the time. It was, he called it furniture music, yeah. I believe, and and then obviously Brian Eno contemporized it with music yep. for airports. But what I was curious is, like, what is ambient? Like, surely music that's more meditative and relaxing didn't start in nineteen seventeen. People before the year of 1917 but obviously listening to relaxing music which was also highly detailed as well surely
1: yes I think you know there's um, the singing bowls the sort of healing bowls and that, that form of music um, there's gong music gameleon music mm-hmm. um, that, that can have a similar sort of ability to take you to another
0: Place you should update the Wikipedia page for Ambient Music. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'll get on it. I think architecture I've always postulated this theory, which is possibly you know could be completely wrong, but architecture and music have an intimate relationship that's not given enough kind of um discovery and credit. So, for example, a big room, a big church, for example, has a lot of reverb natural reverb in it, and so. If you play one note, it's going to last for quite a long time. Or if you sing one, one, one note, it's going to last. Have a long long. tail. It's have a long tail exactly. So um, that led to a a form of music because you you couldn't have short notes because they would start Mm. to to clash or you couldn't not that you couldn't have short notes but you couldn't play notes too close together because then they would could potentially interfere with each other mm. unless you played the correct ones which would then build up effectively what was a drone so probably quite a lot of what they call liturgical music so sort of Um, religious music that was sung in churches could be considered to be a form of
0: ambient... Yeah, that kind of thing, yeah. yeah.
1: So, you know, that could be considered a form of ambient music in some respects. And then as architecture changed, you know, and musical instruments changed with it, so particularly, again, religion, so when churches became smaller and sort of Georgian churches was much smaller, you had things like the Harpsichord, which were lots of short notes, which sounded a lot better in a smaller room with a sharper, Mm. smaller reverb effectively. So anyway, that's one (laughs) potential idea. You know, and artists particularly like fine artists have always been interested in I think ambient music and experimentation and um, you know Sati was part of I think some people would argue part of what was called a Dada movement so an Italian movement which you know was particularly prevalent before the First World War and sadly a lot of the artists involved in it were killed in that war Mm. but their musical legacy still runs through um, you know through through us and through many different artists
0: I mean talking about sort of ambient legends um, Steve Wright Yes, I believe we're gonna we're gonna play a song by Steve Wright. I think we can't have a ambient show without playing a track from his. So, right. I mean, you actually worked with him at some point.
1: Or? We did a remix for him yeah. of music for eighteen musicians, which um, was quite a task, but um, we did it and we remixed it and then we performed it at the Barbican and um, yeah, it was amazing. He's just a wonderful creative man and, you know, the sort of minimalist classical music um, is definitely his creation, his baby. And he, I'm sure if he was being interviewed, he'd give his own personal roots and describe where yeah. those ideas came from. But again, it's a seriously meditative experience. But the track that I've chosen, um, some people might recognize. Um, Electric Counterpoint. Um,
0: yeah, they I may mean, recognise it from a
1: from a um, 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 a band called The Orb.
0: Yeah, as someone who wasn't around at the time, so much when that was. When I try and find that song, there's a lot of versions of it. Yeah, is that, like, is it? There's obviously a good reason for that. Like, of of the of electric counterpoint.
1: Yes, yes. I mean it's the whole album and each track. So yeah, sort okay. of, yes. Like you know, classical music comes in parts quite often, and, and you know there's. It's like a story. There's an the introduction, yeah. there's the, the meat of the story, the conclusion, the, the end. It's
0: like a symphony almost. Like a symphony. Like,
1: yeah. So, you know, that I suppose is from his classical music practice. But this version, which is version number three, I think, is um, is the one that the Orb used on Little Fluffy Clouds.
0: Yeah, and not the length of a symphony either. So no. 4 f-
1: minutes 42. Fortunately, a short version. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Music for 18, Musicians in its entirety, is like 25 minutes long. Yeah. I did actually play that. I was on a pirate radio station for a while called Network 21. Mm-hmm. So it was pre-Kiss FM wow. as a pirate, and it was out there and R.C. and I played the whole of uh, Music for 18, Musicians on the radio, which, you know, at the time was considered a, a little bit bold, bold yeah but you know i'm happy to do that
0: great Let, let's hear it Steve Wright with Electric Counterpoint so John I wanted to maybe play a few Tune N- songs from back in the day from the more ambient side and I was curious you ma- you obviously made Autumn Leaves yep. back in the day and in the clubs there was a lot of chill out rooms at the time Tune is a broad church doing many different genres coming from The underground, but what's ambient's influence on Ninetoon as a whole in its genesis and its sensibility in general? Even when the tracks aren't ambient, do do you think there's a strain going on in going in the music?
1: Yes, I think you know. There's a you could say there's a drone that runs (laughs) all the way through. Um, you know, the whole chill out thing. Um, which unfortunately now has got a a kind of bad rep in terms of a name in the same way that actually trip-hop became like a a, a bad word when it shouldn't have because it it was also an amazing genre and ambient and trip-hop had an interrelationship yeah um Clubs like Mega Triplis that we'd we'd play at, which were amazing because there'd be a room where there was politics being discussed, there'd be a room where there was you know shirts off backing techno, (laughs) and then there'd be the chill out room with us and Matt in particular, Mixmaster Morris, um, Kev, folks from DJ Food. You know,
0: KLF at the time, yeah. You know, mixing them a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of people out there that that were doing things along that genre, and you know, it was the introduction of visuals into clubs that were more than just kind of crazy lights and lasers and stuff like that. So actual edited film and footage that was mashed up together so you know it laid the roots for a lot of things that we still see today obviously today they're kind of pumped up on technology and money but um you know those clubs were very important for us the, the, the Ambient Club you know, the Big Chill
0: that I've mentioned before and various other ones where yeah. where that was
1: appropriate and then those DJs were really important as well.
0: Yeah I was going to play a couple of songs, I was going to play Cinematic Orchestra and I was going to after that actually play a song by a newer Ninja Tune act called Bicep yes. and I, I think they draw a lot from Ambient yes. I mean it's a bit more banging at times which is brilliant, obviously I'm going to play a track called Drift which is one of the more relaxed ones on the album yeah. but going back to, to cinematic Jason was working at Tune, right?
1: Yeah Jason worked for us he was doing I think international Yeah, and um, you know like a lot of actually people that work at the label they have their own side thing side yeah. hustle I think it's called <laughs> in young people's terminology Get your hustle <laughs> and uh, so you know Jason was doing our international stuff which is great for an artist to actually work at a label then you get to understand a lot more of what's important and what things that you need to do and how how the whole system works and you know how as an artist you can actually make that happen a lot easier in some respects if you have an understanding of the business and how and how that business works so yeah lovely guy jason wonderful guy and i don't know quite how you presented it now but I've got this feeling that you just came in one day and said I've done some music don't have a listen and it's like yeah that's good and you know it's a sort of mixture of ambient textures and 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 jazz drawing from the jazz a lot I feel yeah. yeah and moving moving things on so you know the the sort of traditional hip-hop stroke sampling thing yep. that would influence a lot of the artists, including ourselves on, on Ninja, but taking that in a different direction, and you know, amazing bands, and brings tears to your eyes, the beauty of their music.
0: The Steve Wright influence is quite prevalent there. Would you say
1: it is very, very prevalent? Yeah, it's fascinating how, how that uh, minimalist ethic has uh, pervaded through dance music. It's fascinating. I'm often finding examples of that influence, and it's understandable. I, I also love Philip Glass, who's another one mm. of that um, um, genre. I remember going to see him at um, as Wells I think it was and it was mad I wasn't expecting it to be like super loud like a rock concert loud mm. and it was just incredible and uh, I can see why it influences people because it's melodic but it is repetitive like a lot of dance music is repetitive
0: but shifts or phase
1: shifts in time so there's micro incremental movement
0: like I was saying earlier, it's so much more than background music because of the, the subtle detail going on. Yeah. And yeah. the evolutions in, in, in the music.
1: That's what keeps the brain occupied. In a, you know, we kind of like repetition, humans. We do. You know, we like things that circle around each mm-hmm. other but then change. And so, obviously, the human um, element is quite
0: important. I'm sure that goes back to early, early music, you know, yeah. as well. Yeah, Absolutely. So we sat in Soho here, and it just dawned on me actually, mid song there, that you you were working in Reckless Records. That's right, which is the still here. 80s, which is round the corner. Berwick Street, yes. And before, because you haven't always been in music, you were a 3D design teacher or craft teacher? I was, yeah. So I went to art college and I studied three dimensional
1: design. So yeah. I got a degree in um, silversmithing. Ceramics and furniture. Yeah, and then I went to postgrad and um, did a teaching certificate. And but uh, in in between those, I worked um, at Reckless Records. Selling
0: records—that so was your sort of link to music.
1: Yeah, in you know, era. I loved records. I'd buy records. In fact, I probably worked for Reckless Records and took—you uh, know—you could either take cash payment <laughs> or, or records. And I think it was a rare week when I walked out of there with any actual money in my pocket rather than a big bag of vinyl. And you know that was where I met Matt. So he was working again around the corner. So Matt
0: the other half of Kolkata and yep. Cohen and the June found yep. their Matt Black. Matt Black. Yeah. So he came in and I sort of knew of him
1: he knew of me, you know, he was a very good scratch DJ and a very good mixer computer programmer. And uh, he brought in what was effectively um, our first record which was sake is what time is it? So um, a mashup which, um, you know, was a homage... To, we, we bonded over Double D and Steinsky and mm-hmm. amazing cut-up artists who...
0: Pioneering, sample-based
1: artists. Yeah. Lessons 1 to 3, which yeah. are incredible pieces of work. And, um, you know, <laughs> we were one of the very few people who were foolish enough to pay £40, pounds, which in 1989, maybe 1988, was a lot of money for a record. Um, for those records because they came out on a a kind of club only release disconnect it was called I remember there was again another shop which was like a high-energy shop that had it in stock I couldn't get it anywhere else and they got one in and I went and bought it I was so excited (laughs) ridiculous. but yeah I met that Matt there he brought in this tape I I just took the decision we played it in the shop there and then and um, you know I just thought Jesus this is amazing and so we got together
0: and so at that point you were still a teacher yeah I was and teaching you were, start, you were time. DJing uh, yeah. your DJing career was going up Yeah. didn't you bump into the Kiss FM founder in a, he was a taxi driver <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So I had Gordon, sh- Gordon Max so I had a show
1: on Kiss FM so um, I was running a club called the Meltdown Party which yeah. was in a warehouse in Rotherhithe and so when the GLC which was the Greater London Authority I think something like that so they were—they got disbanded by Margaret Thatcher because she didn't like the fact that Ken Livingstone was in charge and it was a fairly left-wing yeah. organisation, though it was amazing because they just put on millions of free concerts and they put money into the arts and it was a really fertile and productive time and they were very supportive. But when she um, disbanded the GLC, this venue at Rotherhithe there was a kind of grey area like who owned it who ran it the people that were there just kept it open so i started doing parties there mm. and i booked a taxi to take me there and gordon was the driver and we were chatting and i told him what i was doing and he said well i do this station kiss fm and i knew
0: this guy nicky holloway and i actually knew that nicky was going to give his show up and he'd already told me So it's important to to note to anyone who may not know kiss fm it was a different beast then. It was more pirate, left field. It, it was not the uh pirate. the Kistry, yeah, the history station we hear now, which is also brilliant in its own way. Yeah, like, you
1: know, it's, it's a is. classic story of a, of a bunch of like minded people starting a business, which is what it was really, mm-hmm. and that business being incredibly successful and eventually being taken over by a corporate entity for yeah. better or worse or for a different kind of experience but yeah we, it was unplaylisted it had some of the best DJs or pretty much all of the best <laughs> DJs
0: in town on it and you bumped into one of your pupils when you were DJing once that's right and yeah. then that I think that's when you thought I need to do this full time
1: yeah. yeah I was DJing a party <laughs> and it was like five o'clock in the morning and and this lady comes <laughs> in service like, what are you doing here yeah it's like
0: then that was it right. and then thought, Ninja you know, Tune came out of that so yeah so thanks, thanks good, to that people a good
1: uh, a good journey well I'd wanted to to, to push it to the next level yeah. but you know sometimes you need a little kind of tap on the shoulder to remind you that this is what you need to do
0: so uh, what's what's next in your um, Desert Island Dis- of Ambient songs
1: so I'm going for a track uh, from David Sylvian who this is a solo track from him and uh, I love Japan they're an amazing band and I like David Cillium but actually my partner Sobronia reintroduced me to them in a way because I kind of like you do with some acts that you love and then you just sort of forget about them or anyway she reintroduced me to them so I dug out some of their records and and this, this is one of them
0: Theory. one of john moore some Coldcut's choices uh, john can you tell us any more about that track and why you chose it
1: uh i i just love what john hassel does so he, you know he samples effectively he was a sampler or sampling musician before really sampling was invented so again another artist that was influential on me and um he plays all the right notes, as far as I can concerned. <laughs> so I just love his music. It's got lots of texture. It's hypnotic, you know. And um, I'm not sure much of his history. I've got a strange feeling that he comes from Lewisham, which is interesting for people who live in London, but that's about it, <laughs> without looking him up. He's actually just got a new album out on Warp Records, which is really, really good. So I can highly recommend that.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll be putting all these tracks on... I've got a moving sounds playlist on on the internet. Spotify, Apple Deezer, etc. So I'll make sure I, I put all these tracks up there for people to listen to. So DJ Food. Yes. What's that all about? What's so that, 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 that about? was a, like a pseudonym for cold cut. Yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play yes. a favourite of mine, The Crow, the Funk Fusion version. Okay. So if you could sort of a explain... A brief what, history of food. DJ Food. Yeah. Yes.
1: Well, um, when Matt and I left, the record label that we were signed to when we first started Ninja, we weren't able to put out records under the name colcut because of contractual issues, a classic um, pop industry issue with a lot mm-hmm. of artists and um, so we invented a whole bunch of names and DJ Food was one of them and literally it is food for DJs so the idea was these were like breakbeat albums so again in dance music genre there's been a history of records that were put out that you could use to make either other records or in the club to mix and so we started this series called DJ Food and it was me and Matt and Paul Brook again who I spoke about earlier and um, you know they were sometimes called jazz breaks as well So, and we did these volumes and they were very sample heavy and meant for DJs to be able to mix with but slowly that thing, like a lot of things that Matt and I have done, kind of develops into something else. So PC, Mm -hmm. Patrick Carpenter came along, wrote me a letter, I think, and became an engineer and then started working on the DJ Food stuff and started playing quite a lot of the tracks and collaborating with me and Matt. And then Strictly Kev, Mm -hmm. another member, he uh, was in this collective called Open Mind, he's a stunning graphic artist, and we call him Strictly because he was strictly on the nail every time, <laughs> and a brilliant DJ, and he became part of the collective, and eventually actually Matt and I stepped back and and, and sort of passed the baton on. I can
0: hear in this bass that we're hearing now coming in, and the track as I gradually turn it up, it's sort of can hear cinematic like yeah. phil france yeah. in the base i don't think it's him playing but you can hear how it the music evolved through the eras in the Ninja june history
1: yeah. So, yeah like
0: to me i couldn't
1: it's, it's interesting when you go back you know and go through the catalogue at the time you probably don't make those connections necessarily but actually when you listen mid 90s right I think. yeah yeah uh, i think this is 2000 actually this one
0: this version yeah,
1: I'm not hundred percent sure again, but uh
0: yeah, hazy.
1: well, you know dates and times <laughs> and days aren't necessarily important to a musician man <laughs> <laughs>
0: Great, well, let let's hear the uh the crow funk vision version by DJ Food.
1: Steps so
3: you, you'll come up and come down and come back up, and I'm going to catch the action. Even right here when you're about to get fused right around. So, one, three, one, two, three, go for it. Good, good. Yep. Perfect. Good. Okay.
0: That was Lee Bannon with artificial stasis on the Nindasun label. So I just wanted to wrap things up, John, and thank you so much for coming down. A mass- Massive honor. What have you got coming up?
1: <laughs> well, Matt and I are working on a project that we've been doing for nearly, well, kind of been working on it for two years now. So we went over to South Africa, to Johannesburg and Cape Town, uh, with a charity called In Place of War, and a guy's over there called Kalakuta and recorded a whole bunch of musicians brought the stuff back here then worked with uh, a bunch of musicians here so people like uh, Tony Allen from Mm -hmm. Pellicudle band on drums and Shabaka Hutchins and uh, Tandalonius Ed playing flute Tamar playing sax and Joe Almond Jones playing keyboards and we're in the process of editing, mixing putting Mm -hmm. that together so that's going to be a new project coming out sort of sometime next year so it's exciting for us it's been a lot of fun working with proper musicians yeah (laughs) not not ourselves (laughs) well you you are it's
0: just it's a different instrument but yeah Yeah. i know
1: what you mean like traditional instruments yeah proper you know that combination of electronics and sampling and 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 real musicians is, is fascinating and
0: a lot of fun to do i cannot wait to hear that and i Would you like to choose a song to to play out the moving sound show? Yes.
1: Well it seemed appropriate as I mentioned this was a South African project that we end with a South African musician and the daddy, really, for me, of all South African musicians, which is Well, I know him as Dollar Brand, but a lot of people know him as Abdullah Abraham and this track called The Mountain. Okay. Thanks a lot.